1: Welcome to the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast, where our goal is to recruit, educate, and inspire new hunters, and to entertain the rest of you. Without the mentorship of responsible, conservation-minded hunters, this passion as we know it faces an uncertain future. So please stick around, and be sure to check out our Facebook group, Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast, and like our main page at Foul Front Outdoors, right after this episode. All right, welcome to episode number four. Uh, we're actually going to be talking about scouting, uh, both digitally and uh, physical scouting today. Um, this is going to be Austin's last podcast for just a minute. He's got some work stuff that he's got to. Um, he's going to be out of town for for just a little bit. But we're figuring out how to do remote skyping and uh, all that all that stuff. So.
2: Yeah. Yeah, hey, Ben. Sounds like a good episode this morning. Looking forward to talking about some of the topics and trying to get guys uh, out onto these lands and into their
1: blind. Yeah. And just a heads up, it is 6.15 in the morning uh, on a, a weekend day, for us at least. And uh, so if the brains aren't firing, you know, 100%, Probably attribute that to Austin not being a morning person. We do have coffee mugs the size of five gallon buckets out here, but yeah, I think the coffee will get us through it. Yeah, it's I think it's a little bit harder for me to wake up on the weekends um, outside of duck season, (laughs) but all right. So, today, like I said, it's all about scouting um, and. A good lead into that is something I've, I mean, literally NPR just talked about it like two days ago, um, about, you know, when the time this is aired is about a week ago, but there are less hunters than there used to be. Um, some people would argue that that is not the case based, you know, specifically on the reason that I'm about to tell you, uh, why I think or what is a a main attributing factor to that and and that is lower land access or not as much land access out there for people that don't own their own private land or don't belong to a hunting club or participate in the ever-lucrative hunting leases. Um, And so when you concentrate more and more hunters – into a smaller area, it is going to appear that there are more hunters. So I don't know what you're. Yeah. You know, Ben, I
2: mean, I think it's pretty interesting. Um, I was driving through my car, excuse me. I was driving in my car not through my car two days ago uh, when I was listening to this little segment on NPR and uh, the, the most interesting thing, you know, when I heard about that there being a decline in hunters um, and threatening conservation was that this, this really is kind of an issue. And, but when I go out to go hunt, especially duck hunting i don't it doesn't seem like there's a decline in hunters. It seems like on public land, I'm competing against more people, and every year there are more new guys that have showed up to uh, to basically find the spots that I've been out on but it, it is concerning though if if that's the case, um, you know because state wildlife agencies and then the country's wildlife conservation system are heavily dependent. Uh, on sportsmen for funding, you know, because it's that user play
1: and a user pay funding system. Right. Like we talked about before on the first episode with the North American conservation model, it's not (laughs) the bird watchers and I'm sorry. uh, It's not the hikers. It's not the people that are going out and just taking pictures of wildlife that are funding conservation. It's the hunters and the, and the fishers and the, whatnot. not so? Um, I believe, and I'm not going to get too wrapped around the, the the axles here on on percentages and the actual numbers and stuff. But as as I understand it, uh, we have about five percent of the population uh, the, in 2018 that actively participates in in hunting or buys a hunting license uh, every year.
2: Yeah, in You know, it's like NPR referenced from U.S. Fish and Wildlife um, a couple days ago, if if nobody heard it. But, you know, that 5% of Americans that's 16 years and older that actually do hunt, uh, that's only half of what it was 50 years ago. And then according to this little segment, um, that's expected, that decline is expected to accelerate
1: over the next decade. So that's a pretty tremendous thing to think about. Yeah. And I think that... It's it's important to remember and correct me if I'm wrong here, but okay, the percentage is half of what it used to be. Yep. But uh, you know, we have more people that live in in America um, now than when those numbers used to be double. But it's people say, oh, okay, yeah, so it's making up for the you know. I think that's just smoke screening um, the problem because, yeah. Whereas there might have been, a, I'm just using this number for a quick reference. Where there might have been a hundred licenses sold in 1970, there's still you know 98 licenses being sold in 2018, but the percentage is much lower, um, and you know it, it's not going to balance itself out um, because when people turn 65. Years old, when the baby boomers who are they're getting there, they're I mean they're almost there.
2: Mm-hmm. They uh,
1: they out hunt everybody, uh, millennials, Gen X, whatever comes after the baby boomers. Um, baby boomers have a very high percentage of their population that hunt, and they're approaching sixty five years old. And at sixty five years old, I don't they stop putting the they stop heading out there. They stop um, you know it gets difficult whether they. You know, through just general attrition, they're going to start tapering off their hunting activity and pretty soon we're going to be faced with a huge deficit um, of hunters as, as you know, the baby boomers are out. And we are not – the, the subsequent generations have not uh, recruited or retained new hunters very well or at least not to the capacity to – replace um, if not grow uh, the deficit um, from the baby boomers yeah
2: I think there's a lot of truth to that and I think a lot of that is potentially just the views that society has today Um, and hopefully we can kind of convince people of a little bit otherwise because it's not just about going out and and killing it's not just about going out and uh, taking the life of an innocent little duck Uh, there's a lot more that goes to uh, going out and getting in a duck blind um, and duck hunting and, and what that does for conservation. And I think today, um, you know, we'll be able to talk about how to do that and how to get some of this land access, um, and then how to how to scout out uh, where you're going to hunt, whether it's public or private, um, and how you can help be a contributing member um, to this conservation.
1: Yeah, and there are a lot of factors um, into why hunting recruitment numbers and hunting retention numbers are are dwindling. And I've, I think one of them is there's a huge learning curve, hence the reason for this podcast. Uh, the other one is, is that it is intimidating when you show up on your first day of duck hunting trying to get out there maybe you're cutting your teeth with, maybe you brought your son along because you guys wanted to get into it or something like that. Maybe, whatever reason you're listening to this as a, a new waterfowler, you show up and you got dudes backing up, you know, ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollar boats into into these lakes or these locks and and streams, and they're tearing up the river and heading down the way. and They just know what they, they look like. They know what they're doing, and they they do. You know what I mean? Um, but when when you get there, and you know, the only spot left for you and your son is this little tiny mud flat. That's you know not, not ideal in any means. Uh, it's, it can be intimidating. Yeah, yeah that's extremely true. Uh, I would say with a lot of experience
2: hunting, uh, different bits of public land, you know, that picture that you painted is, is exactly what I've run into. I think especially when I started to hunt, uh, without my dad, my brother and I kind of ventured out on our own. Um, and we'd get into these public areas where everybody was locked up, trying to draw a number and, and get out to a public spot. And you'd see all these guys uh, whip in with their brand new F-250s and their um, – what's the boat that guys buy a Bass Pro? Um, that
1: tra- is it the tracker? Yeah, the tracker or like the – what are the big long boats that yeah, the guys yeah, have? Yeah. Um, Center console. Yeah. And hey, you yeah. Know, we're not knocking on you if you got one of those. No, no. but and We're just I've, jealous. I've just
2: got like a <laughs> canoe up on the top of my 4Runner, And I'm just trying to like get in and just paddle out to a little spot that I can shoot maybe a limited ducks at. I mean, it is. The intimidation factor is there. Um, and to some extent, especially if you're getting out on your own, uh, there's, a, there's a support group. You know, if you don't have that support group that. You know, Bob and his three other buddies, you know, all have and they're at Bob's house the night before uh, drinking and getting all the decoys ready uh, and hanging out, you know, and sort of in in duck camp or deer camp, if you will, however you want to put it. Um, You know, that's that's a lot of guys. I'm just kind of rambling on here, but that's a lot of guys going out um, and and boosting each other's confidence to get out and and kill some ducks, hopefully ethically. But it, it can be intimidating if you're out there by yourself.
1: And you're running into other groups of people like that. Yeah. Um, and like I mentioned um, in the past Tales and Tips episode, you know, it's never a bad idea to, if you're out there by yourself, you know, trying to learn, you see a group of, uh, as they would, maybe some hardcore waterfowlers, uh, pretty good odds that they might let you hop in the boat if they got room. Um, Or at least give you, you know, a piece of like, hey, we're we're hunting this spot today. But, you know, you might want to try this spot out um, to kind of whittle things down. But I guess it's a pretty decent uh, segue into scouting. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It is 2018. Is it a digital? This is a digital era. This is, you know... We have the internet, and literally, there's not a single place on earth that can hide from the ever seeing eye of Google <laughs> Earth. Um, so, I think we'd be silly to not talk about
2: that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know where to you start, you know, when you're talking about digital scouting, because there's probably five or six different hunting apps out there uh, that five or six different people uh, w- would tell you're all the best ones. And I know we'll go through a few of those, but yeah, I think it more basic level though, uh, Google and Google maps, just right on your, right on your
1: desktop, or if you have Google that's- earth is, is a great way to start. Yeah, that's what I use. Um, so you know, we're going to walk you down our steps that we utilize for uh, digital scouting. And then we'll transition into what you actually need to look for out in the field. And we will hopefully get you uh, the confidence and abilities to go out and find your next uh, honey hole. All right. So I think step number one is knowing and finding your public lands. Um, so there, there are many different organizations that manage and operate public land access. Um, and they all publish maps, be it digital or physical. Where where you go buy your um, your tags and your license, they have they have maps there. Um, yeah. I I've never seen a Walmart that doesn't.
2: Right? Yeah. No. And most of the time, too. Especially, well, not most of the time. You will always get like the state catalog. Um, this hunting catalog yeah, if you will yeah. that's that's gonna have that state's website on it and you can get on that website mm-hmm. i think um like tennessee's is tennessee wildlife uh recreational areas i if i'm correct like TWRA, and then kansas um like department of fish and wildlife for that specific state and if you get on those websites and use those catalogs uh that those states give you when you buy your your hunting license and pay your fees um, that's going to have the link to the conservation yeah. areas that you're looking for. I
1: tell you what, uh, if there's any new Mexicans out there, um, New Mexico has a really cool uh, public land access map. It It's sponsored by this, this app uh, called carry maps. And I mean, it's kind of difficult to download it, but once you follow the, the, you know, the instructions, you can do it. But uh, for the longest time, I just used that. Uh, it's cool. It lets you set waypoints. Um, New Mexico has a lot of public hunting land. Um, and if you ever, ever find yourself, uh, stranded in New Mexico and looking for a place to duck hunt, go ahead and give me a a call. I'm not going to put it out on the radio, but I'll definitely, I'll, I'll walk you on to some historically successful duck hunting locations, but back onto the public land access maps, um, I can't remember my dad's truck ever not having, you know, at least four years worth of uh, public hunting land atlases and um, whatnot. So, yeah, it's it's kind of like the Bible, um, you know,
2: at least analog when you're going out hunting. Uh, same thing. You know, I just remember because, shoot, I mean, when I was a kid, it, it wasn't about getting online and going to the websites. It was all about the analog, yeah. like hunting Oh, uh, catalogs and not catalog that you shop in because that's what it sounds like I'm talking about. I'm really talking about like the
1: pamphlets yeah.
2: uh, that have all the regulations. I think that's and when I first
1: learned um, like how to navigate or like yeah. you know land yeah. navigation because my dad would tell me, "Hey, we're going to this this little spot right here, and uh, I need you to let me know and we you know, hey, where are we at? Like, how many roads away are we? You know that kind of thing." And so that that's a useful little tool, but uh like like uh, Austin was saying um ev- almost every state this day and age has a digital map that you can find these locations on and some of these uh places that we're talking about so like who manages this public land what are these names um you know so most of them are wrapped up you know federally at least they're wrapped up under the uh, department of the interior Uh, And then you've got the Bureau of Land Management, the United States Forest Service, National Parks, um, the Bureau of Reclamation, um, Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, Some of them actually do are just like, I'm I'm not sure why, but uh, just labeled Department of the Interior. Um, And then there's the the DOD, the Department of Defense.
2: Yeah, you've got Department of Defense and then Army Corps of Engineers, especially When talking about public land, uh, if you're talking about hunting on any kind of military reservation or in and around any uh, military base, um, the DOD and the uh, Army Corps of Engineers, those websites for that specific location are going to be your best go-to to to scout out where you want to go and to know what those boundaries are that are associated with the Department of Defense.
1: And I know some... um, Military installations actually allow civilians to come on and hunt, yeah. and there's a there's a problem there's a lengthy uh, pre screening requirement that goes into that, and there's a lot more uh, paperwork and a little bit more you know time to get out there. But what you're doing there is you are weeding a lot of people out. Yeah, you uh, are a lot of competition out. I mean, so yeah, I I got a lot to speak on that too, and that that could be
2: a whole other subject, but. This last fall, uh, yeah, I I did most of my hunting all on on Fort Benning. Unfortunately, it wasn't for any duck hunting at all, but I did a lot of public hunting on Fort Benning down in Georgia. Um, However, it's kind of interesting, even though it was considered public per se because the public and general population on Fort Benning and around Alabama and Columbus, Georgia were hunting on it. Uh, by federal regulation, it was like actually hunting on private land. So Hmm. it's just something to think about. There are different, um, regulations that apply to the benefit of the hunter actually, because the like bag limit per se for certain animals, um, and then the different times that you can hunt were actually in your favor as if you were hunting on, on like private land and you got like extra doe tags. So, uh, just one thing to think about when you're hunting on a military reservation, it, it is could fall under some private uh, regulations. Just check with that state and use your digital resources.
1: Yeah. And then uh, another thing too, if if you're not into that, but you do happen to see, um, oh, the the Army Corps engineers, that's not um, specifically tied to DOD. So you might be able to. There, there might not be as lengthy of a process in there, so don't don't be intimidated by by any of that. All you gotta do is pick up the phone, call, and ask. People are gonna give you the information, and and uh, people that work in the outdoor um, and conservation industry, um, and then like these these public uh, land, they love talking about this stuff. They oh, love yeah. they they want to get you out there. They they want to do that stuff. So, um, yeah, like I said. Um, there's also I wanted to talk about like H uh, L A P or HAP or whatever. There's there's a lot of um, other things. So I guess we'll talk about state land first. Um, so we just talked about all the federal public lands, um, but the federal government does also you know give public land over to the state. and a lot of times, unfortunately, um, it's not managed nearly as well when whatever your opinions may or may not be about um, how things are managed at a higher level of government or at a lower level of government. um, A lot of times when land gets passed from the federal to the state, it gets chopped and hacked up and used for uh, monetary income.
2: Yeah. You know, I think it definitely varies state by state, but you're right. Land management is expensive, uh, and if a state can sell it off and it can create a profit, um, then then you're right. A state's probably going to lean to do that. Um, and so you, I think you would just have to hope, though, that some of these states have good land land management programs to put in these state wildlife refuges. Um, you know and then some more of our our public hunting
1: areas as always this episode is brought to you in part by high prairie Sportsmen, a group of conservation-minded outdoorsmen and women who have a lot of great content over on youtube just go search for high prairie Sportsmen over there and you'll be entertained for hours and you might even learn something they're very close friends of the show and without them uh, a lot of this stuff wouldn't be possible okay back to the show Right. And a lot of people, you know, don't realize um, how important or how tied um, agriculture and hunting are. Oh, yeah. Literally, the biggest piece of hunting legislation or conservation legislation, I should say, um, is the Farm Bill. Yeah. <laughs> Which um, there's these programs called like Hunter Access Programs or HLAP. There's every state probably has a different acronym for it or something like that. And then like there's CRP, which is, um, basically what it does is it pays farmers cash or tax incentives, um, through grants and stuff to not farm that field or to, you know, allow hunters, um, to hunt on it, you know, and I know a lot of, um, in Nebraska, um, a lot of times, hunters will do that to the to the ravines in between their fields. Yep. And so you'll see all these little um, ravines and draws that are like CRP um, or hunter access program, and essentially they're turning a buck or getting some monetary um, uh, reward for allowing hunters onto their property. And then another thing too is is uh, when you go to uh, ask somebody if you can hunt on their property. When they say yes, they're assuming liability for you. Um, no matter you know if you signed a release of liability or not, um, and that can be something that deters a lot of a lot of uh, landowners from uh, letting people hunt on their property. So uh, the state government essentially incurs that cost or that liability for these people that uh, these farmers that are allowing people to hunt on their land yeah and i I think each state handles it a little bit
2: differently. Um, you know some states have pretty good programs put into place uh, that are really gonna allow you to maximize getting out and uh and hunting on those public lands and you know they'll have those refugees ref a refuge not a refugee created um for wildlife and then next to that they'll have that public conservation area that you can hunt um,
1: yeah. Um, that's all I have to say about that. That's all I (laughs) have to say about that. Okay. So there are a multitude as we spoke of ways that you can find these lands. Um, I just want to do a quick plug out here. I pay for the service and I have, I think, you know, I pay for the entire year. So I'm not getting anything out of this plug, but I use on X maps. Um, and it's awesome. And it compiles all this data in one spot for me. I can go to one map and see all the different public lands and private lands. Um, there, if you don't want to pay for an X map subscription, you can literally find these maps, you know, scattered everywhere. And then um, we'll we'll get into the finding out who owns what piece of property here in a little bit, but. I think we have beat up how to find your public land. And then let's move on to step two in my little process, which, um, it's determining your limits. So essentially you need to figure out how far you're willing to travel to hunt.
2: Yeah. And on what
1: occasions too. Yeah. And I'll, I can kind of start this one. I think, um, when you're
2: determining your limits, um, it, you know, and determining how far uh, you're willing to drive and look into something, I get. So what you're saying just for scouting, or in general, when you like, when you hit the hunting, yeah, season? yeah, when,
1: when we hit the hunting season, because you know, there's there's spots that, huh, you know, we have that are ten minutes away from our houses, and then there's spots that you know we're traveling all the way up to Nebraska for. Oh yeah. and uh, you just have to have your different categorizations. Like, hey, you know, like this morning. We we on a whim we're like hey come on over um, you know we're not gonna be driving to Nebraska to go hunt uh, we're gonna head on down to our local tiny little water hole that we got to, <laughs> to um, hit on the ducks
2: yeah I guess you have to determine uh, what the payoff is gonna be you know from hunting if you're gonna drive an hour away and you're gonna guarantee you're gonna limit out and you're gonna get a two man or three man limit um, then that is a factor and how far you could be willing to go. Or uh, are you going to drive an hour away? Maybe you'll get half of a one-man limit, two or three ducks, and then you're coming home, you know, the one-year-old baby. Your wife is at home. Um, she's pregnant with the second baby. Um, yeah. You know, how is the rest of that weekend going to go when you don't really have a lot to show for it? So I would say, for
1: me, that's a factor. In I would bring my limits. Oh, absolutely. I, and I would say probably um, – My close limit, um, like my – the one that I like to hit the most is I am literally stepping out of my truck within 30 minutes. Yep. Uh, And I'm specifically just talking driving slash walking time because you have to consider both of those things. Well, setup Uh, too. So yeah, setup is always a little bit of a constant for us. But um, I would say that if I am not literally throwing decoys out within 30 minutes, um, it's kind of an extended range for me. So everything that's below 30 minutes is the kind of like my sweet, sweet and bread spot and, um, sweet and bread spot. (laughs) All right. Whatever term sweet and bread spot, baby. All right. So, um, and then I've got, um, other ones that, you know, within an hour, hour and a half that I'm willing to hunt, you know, and obviously the further away, the less frequently I hunt them. Um, unless you know situations arise where I can plan something around it, yeah, and I think the limit, though,
2: unfortunately, is going to be, uh, it's going to be different for each guy in each state, especially depending where they live. I mean,
1: yeah, currently
2: um, look at us, the Kansas River is a stone throw away, so you know, and there's hundreds of miles along the Kansas River that we could turn into a 10 minute drive or we could turn into an hour drive and drive
1: down past Juan Migo. Yeah. And uh, yeah. We've got two different spots that are about 45 minutes away from different landowners that we've known in the past. And then our third criteria is, you know, I've got family up in Nebraska. Yep. Yeah. So yeah.
2: And I'm just saying there's some of those guys that live in the more inner city um, type environment or, or, I mean, we live in the suburbs, but some people that don't have, the immediate access to public land right by their neighborhood, your limit naturally in in that ring on your map is going to be a little bit further. Um, And your close spot in my mind could be my far spot, but that's, that's why you get out and that's why you scout um, and you determine what, what that limit's going to be and and what the payoff is going to be.
1: Yeah. And um, I think another important thing that I kind of, uh, I think I missed on, on, on the first one is, out here in the Midwest, we don't have it nearly as much because there's a lot more um, hunting land to be had. But places on the on the coast, especially I know the East Coast. Um, I was talking to a guy that I work with that's from Massachusetts. There's a lot more uh, urban hunting to be had on the East Coast because there's it's just a more condensed population and a more condensed population. And uh, there are special permits that allow you to hunt city ponds. <laughs> Whereas here, you—I mean—I don't think we can even shoot our bows in our backyards within city limits. No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I have to call the game order <laughs> and ask about that. But um, yeah, uh, so when you're determining your limits, you know, just make sure you talk to your partner, um, and not just your duck hunting partner. The most duck hunting—the most important duck hunting partner that you have. Is your wife, or whoever it is that is, maybe it's your husband, whoever it is that is waiting for you um, when you get home, because uh, you have to be honest and uh, you have to be, you have to consider them because maybe they're they're not as into it, or maybe they want you to get out there, but you are splitting time with a mistress that is, you know, hunting and. Yeah, that's a, good way to, that's a good way
2: to put it. And if you're single and you don't have anybody, then you should be out every single day of the duck season. I mean, yeah. I'm
1: just kidding. And screw you. No, just kidding. Yeah. Um, so let's let's move on um, to the next step three, setting up your Google Map. Um, so, Austin, you've seen my Google Map. It is quite extensive. I've put about five years of work into that thing. Literally every time, um, I, you know, every time I see a deer, doesn't even matter if I'm on vacation. Um, you know, for I think it was Doug's bachelor party that we went up to uh, in the Pacific Northwest, and I saw I saw a deer, and so I I pulled out my map and I, I logged it. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, no, it's good though because you know you you've harvested all this data and research, um, and then you've really created. Your um, God, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but you have all these points, you know, within your Google Map that you've saved, and then over the years you can go back and you can really track, you know, where you've been um, and, and where you. Oh, want yeah, to Oh yeah, each each one of those so easy to story. do. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: so what I do is, you know, you go to Google Maps. If you don't have a, a Google account, do that, um, and then you can go into Maps, uh, My Maps, and um, create a new one. And start setting up your layers. Now I screwed up in the very genesis of my map and didn't quite uh, have a organization system for my points. And I I pay for it to this day. I can't filter through all my points because I've got oh I've got close to if not two thousand I've got fifteen hundred different points yeah um, on there and absolutely no rhyme or reason other than a rough color scheme that I've incorporated. And, um, so when you're just starting off, start off with these layers, you know, have, have a, you know, duck hunting layer, have a deer hunting layer, have a water layer, have a, um, path layer an access layer, um, food, boundaries, trails, Turkey, whatever, create the different layers and stay on top of it. And then you'll probably benefit from that a lot more than me. I was thinking, I was even thinking about, hiring one of those, uh, virtual assistants, um, you know, to, yeah, no idea. I mean, essentially what you're talking about is, is, knowledge management, uh, on the digital
2: scope and, and a lot of people do it at work. Uh, a lot of people have great knowledge management and storage of their data, you know, be- between files and, and their color schemes. And, you know, and if you work with anything that requires the use of geotags and geolocations in a map, and, and I've. Seen it obviously through the work that we do and and this can be stored and organized very well and there's no reason that you can't do that with hunting either um, it's Google or any other means provides an excellent opportunity to log and store uh, all those points um, and to set that up in a scheme and organization that that makes sense to find during the hunting season because I guess what I can tell you is that most people now in today's age are, are doing that. And if you're not doing some kind of knowledge management like that, uh, then, then there's a good chance that you could get stepped on when you go out hunting because most of the guys have their iPad or their iPhone right in front of them. And they've got that point
1: pulled up yeah, and they've got the distance and direction and they just hit it. And then the boat's heading right to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so people might be asking, well, why don't I just do this on my Onyx maps app? And I'll tell you, so it's really good. A lot of those apps have excellent navigation systems, much better than Google Google Earth. But for consolidating all that information and organizing it, I'm, these a lot of these hunting apps, they don't have it yet. Nah, there's just no way to store that much data or color code or do it quick and conveniently like Google Maps does. But yeah, like I said, it is kind of annoying switching back and forth um, and like – you know, the night before we go on a, a hunt that I've you know only been out there a couple of times, you're dang right. I'll I'll, t- I'll take that Google Map um, point and I'll throw it in the Onyx uh, navigation system because the Onyx navigation system is pretty good, and I'll load that point up. But you'll find what works for you. Um, and then it, it's super important. Um, the other thing too is is that when you set up a point. Um, it has a note section in it and you can record everything you want about that location in, in that note section, you know, that, that could be a landowner's name, um, phone number, hunting success dates, or like saw deer at this time harvested, you know, four green wing teal, uh, on this date at this time. Here was the weather observation. So the next time you go to look at that, you can have that pulled up. And then also it is fun to kind of sift through all of your, your notes on your points and just see what you've written in the past, you know? Um, so that's pretty fun.
2: Yeah, no, it is. And I think um, it, it takes discipline though, because I find myself, gosh, I think every hunting season, that's where I start doing. I start digitally, you know, tracking what I'm going to do. And I, and I've got, I've got my points saved and then I've got my notes, but then, you know, by the end of the season, I, I feel like I've really slacked off on making sure that I filled in uh, each of those spots and each of those notes. Um, And it's just, it's, it's kind of funny. You can really lose track of what you've done in a hunting season once you stop logging everything. Yeah. So don't, I would say, don't get discouraged. if you don't have everything logged, um, this is just a great way. To find where you want to go
1: and keep track of what you've seen. Yeah. And if you're like Austin, you can just rely on uh, your buddy's good map like I do. And you can share that map. Yeah, exactly. And I'll just
2: go to sleep early, wake up late and (laughs) wait for you to upload the uh, newest location.
1: Yeah. Or, or the newest podcast too. I find I'm doing a lot of podcast editing. No, just kidding, buddy. You're busier than get up. Um, So I think we've, Uh, Let's talk about – so if you're uh, pretty technologically savvy, you can also use Google Earth instead of Google Maps. And I think a lot of people do prefer Google Earth because it has a little bit higher functionality. I don't use it just because I started off on Google Maps. And uh, I know that I can export all my points and stuff like that and throw them onto Google Earth. I just am not as – you know, I don't necessarily find a need for it other than I know that Google Earth does do one really good thing and that is is that you can look at historical um, satellite images. So you can get a, like a, a picture of what it might have looked like five years ago.
2: Yeah I mean, you just you know? have to look at I think what you're trying to get out of it. Um, I've used Google Earth. A lot for other uh, work-related uh, type events um, to try to determine distance you know, and, and direction and then a lot of slope and elevation. So I think if you're going to go hike through a pass or through a mountain to get to where you want for duck hunting – um, then I would definitely use Google Earth to get that uh, slope and, and elevation. It, it
1: has that stuff in it already? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Most okay.
2: most Google Earth does and you can kind of like draw your line across
1: and then it will determine. So I'm the, a Neanderthal and I've been going on to my own, like finding like, no. these third-party things to do that for me. And I'm, I guess – Well,
2: I don't know. Maybe that's Google Earth you have to pay for. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is you don't need that to get to a boat ramp or to get to a levee and put in – to where you're going to wade to, especially if it's like a sandbar type scenario in the Kansas river. Um, But yeah, that's way advanced. Uh, It's awesome when you look at it, but you can get the job done with Google maps. And I I would be remiss if I just didn't throw this in there. And I, you know, I sound like my, my dad talking to me, but don't forget after all this digital stuff that we talk about, um, don't, don't forget just how to use a map and compass though, too. And, and I'm sure that's a whole nother episode that we've got planned in a whole, and a whole nother technique. And I don't mean to digress from the digital one, but um, I can find myself really getting tunnel visioned on the screen of an iPad and Google maps. Um, and then when you get out and your feet are in the water and you actually take a look at the direction that you're going, the physical environment is completely different than the digital environment. Yeah. So don't forget, um, how to use terrain features and actual, you know, land navigation just to its basics without using your, your iPhone.
1: Right. Yeah. Don't be that guy that has Especially to rely your on iPhones,
2: not charged because you were on Instagram all night, um, prior to hunting. So
1: yeah, don't be that guy that has to rely on. Um, and I've been that guy maybe, maybe once, maybe once I've been that guy where I had to use my phone to figure out where North was, but Hey, it was dark. And, uh, it was a circular pond, I don't, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't see the
2: truck, so. No, but that's what I mean. I think you can do plenty of digital scouting. Um, and I think we're f- probably getting onto that next, you know? But if you don't do, gosh, the physical scouting um, and and understand the physical terrain that you're going into, uh, you could find out that everything looks oh. a lot different <sighs>
1: than it did on Google Maps your phone. <laughs> yeah. How many, you know? I I wonder how many times I've placed way too much faith and confidence in the old Google yeah, maps. I think everybody does. Um, but yeah, that, we got to
2: – we'll get
1: into that. I digress. OK, so let's talk about the public land-only method. So now we've got a map and we've got all of our resources um, being like we know where all the public land is. So I start off by marking all the public spots that I found um, – on those earlier maps that we were talking about onto my Google maps. Um, And I utilize my limits. So I'm not, you know, I'm not putting in Halsey National Forest, uh, you know, 700 miles away. I'm only worried about stuff that's within, you know, 100 miles of me. So we start off by marking all the public spots that we found on the earlier maps and and finding the public lands where they start, where they end, um, and then keep an eye out for, mostly you're looking for water spots and we'll get more into specifically what you need to be looking for um, here in just a minute. Uh, But there's a reason that the first part of waterfowl is water. So um, just going to talk about some of the different spots that I've found just specifically from um, finding uh, online. So, there is a, uh, a spot in El Paso, Texas, just right outside. It's literally probably a quarter, half a mile from a trailer park on the edge of the desert. But um, I saw this little dot of public land on the map, and I said, "What the heck is that?" Like just a little, little tiny. Like almost looked like something was on my screen, and you know, mm-hmm. so I zoomed in, and okay, little little thing of uh, public land there. Okay, I'm gonna go check it out, and so I walk in there and um, set up, you know, half a dozen decoys in a, in a mojo. And next thing you know, like, and I'm talking like 4:30, uh, you know, p.m. in the afternoon. I I got a I got a limit of blue wing teal, and just from this tiny little spot that, you know, I I bet I'm probably one of a handful of people that's ever actually truly hunted there. Um, you know, I even talked to the game warden about it because I was concerned about how close it was. And he said, you know, you're the first guy that's ever even talked. I got to look into that. And he'd been working there for five years. This and is a conservation area? It was whatever, uh, like a no. wildlife management area. No, it was, uh, I think, believe it was Bureau of Land Management. Oh, okay. um, and it was I think what had happened was is that Bureau of Land Management had owned a bunch of property over there. Yeah. Um, God, but, I feel like I remember this text, though. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, And there was, I think they probably, the Bureau of Land Management, um, it had been sold off to public land or to private land, but they retained the key water feature in there um, to make sure that nobody did anything with it. um, And ended up with just this little, you know, 80 yard by 20 yard strip of um, water, the kind of little tiny oasis in the desert that you know, it had private property on all sides of it, but had a clearly marked, uh, river bed that you could access it through without going on a private property. And, um, I think it just kind of got forgotten about yeah. over time. I mean, especially if the, you know, the game warden didn't even had to check my map <laughs> to, so yeah, it's, it's little things like that. Um, and, uh, another thing, um, Like another interesting one that I've found was the International Boundary Water Commission. Um, So in El Paso, you can hunt the Rio Grande. Literally, the Mexico is on the other side of where you're hunting. I've had ducks fall into Mexico and I have had um, Mexican ranch hands from Juarez toss my ducks back over into the river for me. You know, Um, this
2: didn't violate any kind of – like immigration, I mean, I those ducks are Mexican, and you brought them over to I the United States. I don't and, know
1: what it was, but that's I you know, um, I saw the, these farmers. They were um, pushing a bunch of cattle, and uh, they were about a quarter mile away from me. And I some ducks came in. I shot. Uh, I remember one duck went down into, into the river and went and retrieved that, but the other duck uh, hit the other bank and was you know just out of arm's reach and. And, uh, one of them old boys, he sprinted over there on his horse. And I'm not kidding you. This really happened. And, um, I, he said, you know, and I was like, oh man, well, I don't know what that word is later. I, found, I think it's duck or something. Yeah, definitely. is duck. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he rooted around in the, in into the, you know, through the brush there and he found it. And, uh, I thought, oh, well, I, I guess he's going to keep it. And he. Chucked it back over there for me and uh, quite an interesting uh, retrieve, I I think. um. Gosh, yeah. Not all of us hunt in uh,
2: the Mexican-U.S. border, though. That is pretty extraordinary.
1: Yeah, and that's where I cut my teeth. That's where I, like, learned, you know? Yeah. Um, interesting things. But anyway, so there's, like, small agencies like these, like the International Boundary Water Commission that – that ain't on no public map. I had to Google that after somebody told me that I could – um, hunt there and they had a, literally, it was just, you know, I, I've, I'll i talk about it in Tales and Tips, my first time heading down to the Rio Grande, but um, some of these places take some extra research and legwork. Like there's some wetland management areas that have very specific rules. Like you can't hunt after, you know, 1 p.m. You can't hunt on this little sliver. You can't do this. So you have to do your homework and don't be intimidated by that and do not hesitate to call the people that whose names are on the bottom of these these documents, whose names are you know attached to this uh, these rules and regulations. Yeah, and that, they'll walk you through it.
2: That's an extremely good point because when I was hunting up in the Pacific Northwest in the state of Washington, their conservation or Department of Wildlife website has all these little blue dots. But, you know, It's like a pin on Google yeah, Maps where right. all the public land is that you can hunt and you literally click on each one of those and it brings up like the name and number of whatever that conservation area is. And and then at the bottom, I think the phone numbers were generally the same. They just differ by like one or two digits based on the region. Mm-hmm. It had a point of contact to call and and talk to. I um, mean every single time, especially – especially in the state of Washington where – I'm not even sure how hunting is legal based off the regulations, but hunting is legal. Uh, You have to call and you have to double check what the what the regs are specifically. To sometimes the hunting ends it at one o'clock, and sometimes that hole is only available Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and every fourth Sunday. You know that comes around in the month. Um, But yeah, you cannot just find the land. Digitally and then drive up to it and then dump your decoys in there and expect to hunt without any issues. If you're going the public land-only method, uh, follow up with a phone call. And most of the time, you'll just find more revealing information than you even knew about. Right. Um, And you'll find out that it's actually – there's way more that you can do there. And most of those guys who run that little – that conservation agent that owns that little region – uh, they'll generally give you some good tips on other
1: places surrounding there that, that you can go into yeah. that are more advantageous. Not, not not duck hunting at all. Um completely related just to whitetail hunting. I you know, I did that same thing and I asked the you know, this the biologist out there and he, you know, he gave me the he gave me the low down. Told me, Hey, go to this, you know, set your odometer when you get to three quarters of a mile, hit this gate, follow this trail. There's a deer stand out there. You should use that one. Yeah. No, I would oh, definitely. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So, okay, um, so let's. Should we transition into not only public finding public land, but also finding private land to yep. hunt on? Okay, so very similar. Start from your home um, and identify the city limits because uh, most municipalities don't allow you to hunt within the city limits, at least out um, past west of the, the Mississippi. Uh, But like I said, on the coast, uh, there are some urban hunting um, opportunities. Anyways, so I work out in kind of a circular fashion from my house, and I am just trying to identify bodies of water. Every time I find one, I mark it with a um, yellow question mark um, point, and then I move on. And then, uh, you know, I mark them um, in a pending status, uh, just like that, and so once I've you know littered my map with all these potential spots, I root through and I find the ones that are most appealing to me that I actually want to pursue. Um, and it is a numbers game. Um, so what I'll do is I'll use my Onyx map, and I will bounce it off there, um, and I will attach a, um, a name to that property, uh, whoever owns the property. Now, there's, there's other ways that you can find these names. Um, you can, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, how do guys reach out if they don't Okay. Have Onyx Maps? perfect. So Onyx Maps got this information from somewhere, and it's called land or surface ownership maps, um, SOMs or LISWs and stuff like that. Every county, um, it's public information. Yeah. Um, it is public information, and you can go out. You can either go to <laughs> – your courthouse and get that information, or you can Google, um, surface ownership map, whatever County. Um, and a lot of times they have digital ones. I know new, I know Texas has one. I know New Mexico has one. Um, I haven't had to use them anywhere else. Um, the other method you can do if, if you can't find that is figure out what the address of that place is and then Google that address. Um, that can, that's a little harder um, but you can find some identifying features. And if not, look for the properties that have houses on them and then just go knock. Yeah, I would say so I mean basically we're talking about
2: at San State. How do we how do we knock on this guy's door? How do yeah. we knock on the farmer's door? And and I guess too, you know, how generally do we think that they're gonna wanna be communicated with? Some right. guys want that face to face, and I, I know you've kind of got a whole bit about that and then others are okay with just a phone call and others are even okay with uh, an, an email uh, or a Facebook
1: message. Yeah, and so the – I mean I've had it happen a multitude of ways. Um, so either I drove past their house when they were there or I drove past their house, saw their mailbox, jot down their um, uh, address and then do a reverse lookup in the phone book. Um and then there's other times where I just literally, and this is so millennial of me, <laughs> I see their name on my Onyx um, maps or on my land, my surface ownership, and I Google or not Google, I Facebook their names, and some I, would call that stalking. But. It is, it is stalking. Um, but I mean, it uh, I've. It's worked out for me, and I've had landowners really appreciate it, and then I've had others that completely ignore it, and then I've had others that say, "Hey, you know, I don't wish to be contacted in this manner." I'm always apologetic, straight up front. Sorry for reaching out to you in this manner, but uh, I I find that when you can write them, either be it a Facebook message, a an email, if you can find one, or even just a letter in the mail. Um, you do get a little bit more success than just cold calling or you know um, that knock because you can get your whole story out there on paper under no pressure for them to even finish it and then you can explain your entire situation to them and a lot of people um, will be able to have all the facts right there in front of them and make a much more informed decision yeah no, i'm I'm just kind of like looking
2: at our methods here and uh, you know, trying to see what's what's worked for me or what's easiest. I'm just trying to imagine myself like in the summertime, sitting down and, and writing all my letters out to all the landowners yeah. to try to get on their land. Um, no, I'm just kind of kidding. But I think <laughs> the fate, yeah, the face to face is is great. Uh, that's my preferred way because I also like to know who whose land am I hunting right, on. Right. What's the feel and what's the vibe. Of this farmer, is he coming after me with the, you know, 20 gauge uh, shotgun because he's a little bit older and didn't remember that I told him I was going to be driving on his land right uh, in the morning. But I, you know, the opportunistic finds, um, another thing that I'm, I'm kind of looking at here is, God, those are those my most favorite. Oh, when somebody yeah, tells absolutely. me, hey, I know somebody who knows somebody who said you can hunt and, you know, then all the work's pretty well done because that guy – is already yeah. put that offer out, um, but honestly, those aren't always around. <laughs> Facebook,
1: my Facebook approach yeah. generates that more often than not. Like, hey, yeah. I'm not interested in having you hunt on my property. However, neighbor X Y Z is. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. here's his number, um, and then you're talking about opportunistic things, right? So, um, yeah, like I said, can't find anybody on online. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of farmers and uh, agrarian folk are like that, you know, um, and so you go find their house, go knock say what's up, give them your pitch. And yeah, that's that. Um, the other one that, um, this happened to me, um, this last season, how I'm out there glassing, um, looking for some, some geese and I follow these geese into this field and they put down and just so happens, uh, you know, the landowner is sitting there on the back of his tailgate and I roll up and I said, You know, he's sitting there having a beer with his wife and and his neighbor, I presume, and said, hey, those geese bugging you any? He said, you want to hunt them? And I said, yeah. And he said, all right, like, (laughs) here's the key to the gate. Like, you going right now? I said, oh, no, no, no. Do you mind if we go tomorrow afternoon? And he said, sure, just hang the key back up, and here's my number, and let me know whenever you're going to be there. What Ben
2: is saying is, if you're an extrovert, this method will work. If you're an ah. introvert, this method will not work. now I'm just yeah. You have to be able to 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 talk to people and not be afraid. That yeah, just not be afraid to talk to the landowner, right. um, especially when the guy is out there. You know, and the opportunity presents itself because. That's that's the best way to get onto those private
1: lands. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the other thing to remember about that is is that um, this is a numbers game. Yeah, uh, I would say that probably out of from the time that I spot a hole that I want to pursue on on the internet to the time that I'm actually out there sitting in there hunting it, it's probably one in ten. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: I I, know. I know you've got. You know, another thing and kind of topic to look at is is networking through some of the bigger mm-hmm. foundations like Ducks Unlimited, Delta Waterfowl, um, so Upland Bird Hunting, Pheasants Forever. This is another thing though that can provide a lot of good information. Um, but it's I think these have another intimidation factor too. Um, you know, how many guys are a member maybe of the local DU or Delta Waterfowl mm-hmm. chapter mm-hmm. that they're going to actually. Give you their their little honey holes and their and their private spots, so that may not always be the easiest, but you you won't know and you won't know about some of these private lands if you don't get involved right. in some of those local events and and go to some of those like du banquets. Um, that is a great way just to get the feel of what's going on in your area, and then you'd be surprised the amount of
1: the amount of private land opportunities to reach out to that are that are going to come available. Yeah, and I would say like so if you talk to me at a Ducks Unlimited banquet, I will take you to my private land and we will go hunt. You know what I mean? I might not take you to my favorite public hunting spot (laughs) because um, there is, there is something to be said about. um, And actually, hold on. Let me pause here real quick. I don't think we today are going to get to the actual scouting uh, and what to look for. So we might have just found ourselves another episode and we're just going to stick to just the digital methods right now. Uh, Because we're sitting at almost an hour. Yeah. So we've rambled on a lot. But (laughs) I think there's some good rambling. um, So anyways, back to it. um, I look at every time I meet someone out in the field or any time that I meet somebody, a new duck hunter, um, that is not a jack wagon or, you know, someone that I don't want to spend any time with. um, They are another tool, another resource to me because just like think about this, you and me, so. I go out and I can find all the public hunting, all the, you know, maybe the private spots that I can find. Um, But when we split that work up, you're out there. I mean literally um, there's two private spots that you have access to that I would have never had access to without you. And so just in the same way that you have access to a couple of my private spots, that sounded terrible. (laughs) but, uh, you know, we. This is, this is a PG podcast. Ah, yeah, it is. It is. Any uh, con- misconstrued metaphors are all on you as the listener, not on me. But um, I call it kind of, you know, teaming up or duck clubbing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I com- think- just in the same way that we share decoys, we share hunting spots. Yep. And I'm never going to go to one of your private spots without you. Right. Just the same way that you would never do the same thing to me. And uh, actually, we're a little different because we're, we're kind of – we're kin almost when it comes to this stuff. But um, yeah. yeah, don't uh, don't ever shy away from somebody uh, that wants to talk to you about duck hunting because that might be your new boy. You know? Yeah. That's, I that's mean another three dozen decoys that you can utilize. Yep. It's f- just the basics of
2: networking and uh, when you meet somebody new – uh, and that guy can get you out to another spot and then you guys can start sharing uh, those spots and that knowledge management, uh, kind of my phrase of the morning I guess, then you could turn out to have a pretty good
1: season. Right, right. And so like I'm in a, um, a hunt club. It's not just waterfowl but it's a high prairie sportsman and you can, you can find them on uh, Facebook. Uh, it's a, one of my buddies, Matt. He does a lot of videography and stuff like that but through giving – you know, them content, media content, and stuff like that. I've met dudes on there that, and so, like, I know that when I go up to Nebraska, if I'm really hurting to find a place to hunt a deer or, or I hunt a, uh, you know, while I'm up there, I could reach out to any one of those dudes and they're going to, they're going to say, hey, we're going out this time. You know what I mean? Um, bring a, bring a dozen decoys and, and you're blind and, and maybe some snacks. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yep. <clears throat> um, but, like I said, so if you're listening to this as it comes out, now is the time. This is the most productive time for me for finding uh, land to hunt on uh, because, one, we have the reverse migration, which we can kind of scout right now. Yep. And then the other thing, too, is is um, you have a little bit more success when you are looking presentable walking up to someone's door as opposed to having duck blood all over your face, mud on your boots, and looking like a Neanderthal coming yeah. straight out of the mud blind. Hey, I just saw some ducks you know. Um and it gives the landowner a little bit of uh, buffer time too. Um, think it over. Well, and especially if you're
2: willing to, let's say, like, trade labor maybe for oh, going exactly. out to hunt. Um, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done on private farming lands in the spring and summertime. And if you find a Saturday morning or a Saturday afternoon that, that you've got free and you can offer up uh, to that guy. And you know, you pay those dividends now in the spring and summertime. And I'm not saying you have to go become his next farmhand, hand, but um, cause gosh, I, I probably am looking for the guy that's going to let me go hunt and then hope that he like, doesn't ask me to go load up a whole flatbed trailer. Of hay because I did enough of that in high school. But if you, if you've got that time and, and you pay it for it now, yeah, you could find yourself in a, a pretty good spot and you could find yourself being that farmer's you know, number one guy and, and potentially even an exclusive uh, spot that he's not going to let anybody else come hunt on.
1: Right, right. Man, so let's cover just this last bullet point uh, real quick and then that kind of gives us a natural uh, break and we will get into the actual like scouting, what you need to do um, when you, boots on the ground – It's hunting season, how to scout these birds. Um, We're going to have to do another episode. Yeah. Um, Just wasn't expecting to be able to talk about this for that long, and uh, apparently we can. But, oh, man, I don't know. I might eat crow here on this one. I might might be opening up a can of worms. Um, But ornithology websites are amazing resources for patterning and scouting birds. Um, and even finding um, public huntable land that you may have missed. So, I'm not going to name any specific uh, websites because I'm sure that they wouldn't appreciate me to do that. And I'm just trying to be respectful. But there's a, a number of uh, social media, ornithology, and if you're not familiar with ornithology, it's bird watching um, websites where these ornithologists can go on there, these bird watchers can log where they see what kind of bird where when um how many and you can really get a really good picture of when the migration moves through they have data going back to like 1990 I think um so you can you can go in there and get a a, a good picture for what um how birds move through your area what kind of birds move through your area where they're concentrating um another thing too is is Whether you want to believe it or not, you're an ornithologist, you're a bird watcher, (laughs) you care now about this stuff, and uh, um, it's just another Reese online tool to utilize. Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, it's definitely out there because according to this, like decline
2: in hunters, you know, article we were talking about from NPR, uh, as uh, the decline in hunters uh, increases, you know, meanwhile, they're saying other wildlife activities such as bird watching and hiking and photography
1: are actually rapidly growing. So there's yeah. resources are out there. Yep. Yep. And th- along with that, there is a respect disclaimer there too. You don't need to be going around, you know, asking ornithologists like, Hey, where'd you see this thing? You know, or, you know, so I'm gonna I can go, go track
2: it down and kill it. Eat, like, right. That.
1: Yeah. And don't, and you know, one of those things. Um But I think, uh, we should wrap this episode up and y'all can look forward to now that you know how to, Uh, digitally find that stuff we'll talk next week or so on how how we can actually get our our boots muddy and and uh use our binoculars and what we're actually looking for in all these spots so that yeah you can know where you can hunt but then you can whittle that down into knowing where you should hunt so
2: yeah i think it was
1: a good um Got a good wealth of information
2: that was put out and I what well, it took us an hour to put it out. Most of the stuff that we talked about, you could probably log on and and start to put together and d- data mine within half an hour. Oh and yeah. get yourself out the door to go go
1: scout. Yep, yep. So uh that's an excellent uh resource. So you get out there, start setting that stuff up and then maybe by the next by the next episode you'll actually have something to look at and you might even have a new uh hunting property. So, all right. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fowl Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great, great grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, we also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and... Give us five stars if you think we deserve it, and we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. I and mean, If you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there, and you can ask questions, and you can tell us what you want to hear next, or you can tell us uh, what you don't like, and we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners. So, all right, stay safe out there, and we will see you next week. Hey, you ever been sitting in front of your TV, just wondering why you can't catch the latest episode of the foul front right there in your living room so you can impress all your guests and family with your fine taste and podcast listening? Me neither. But hey, as a part of the waypoint outdoor collective, you can now find the foul front and some other great podcasts on your Apple TV, your Roku, your Amazon Fire Stick, smart TV, even your gaming console just by downloading the waypoint app. And heck, while you're there, they got over 2,500 hunting and fishing shows on demand. Go download the waypoint app today.